Good morning. Hey, I'm Pastor Tim Rogers, and I want to welcome you as well to Grace Point Church. Um, we're glad you're here. I was able to meet with some of you this morning, and uh, we're glad you found our way, your way here to GPC this morning. We, uh, we hope that you find uh, a place of encouragement and refreshment and strength from being here. Um, I'm grateful to have you here. According to my watch, at least, I have an hour and a half this morning. Sorry about that. Um, Thankfully, the guys fixed the, the clock in the back. That's Richard's uh, agenda. So, Richard, thank you for being our deacon of property and getting our, our clock going. Before I begin on our message this morning, I want to tell you where we're going next week. Okay, this is a little ad for next week. Next week, we're going to be beginning a, a mini-series, a two-week mini-series on heaven. So every question that you ever wanted to know about heaven, we're not going to answer that. But we are going to talk about some things related to heaven. So for two weeks, we're going to be looking at heaven. What is it? Um, what, what maybe can I expect? What does the Bible say about that? And how should I live now in light of what I, I think I know about heaven and what it could be and what it could mean? Okay, so that's next week. This week, we're going to talk about a topic that's a little different. And um, as you look at it, and here it comes on the screen, as you look at it, as it stands by itself, it can feel almost um, uh, academic, sterile, and cold, core values. If you're here this morning for the first time, um, this morning is, is very different in terms of my delivery to you. Typically on a Sunday morning, we will um, go through a passage of Scripture, kind of verse by verse, and walk through what does that mean, how does it apply to our lives, that kind of thing. This morning is different. This morning is a topical message in which I'm not doing an expository message. That's what I mean by that word, expository, taking the Scriptures and expositing it, so to speak, bringing the truth out. This morning, we're looking topically at this idea of core values of the church. Now, when I think of core values, it almost kind of will lull you to sleep just by thinking about that term. It's almost uh, too academic and abstract. And core values can be academic and they can be abstract unless you happen to be one of the many people who are flying in and around December, or excuse me, September 11th, 2001. Remember what happened? 9-11. Think about that. You weren't uh, at the Twin Towers, let's say, but you were on your way to Minnesota, or you were in Minnesota on your way back home, or you were in Dallas trying to get to New Mexico, or you were in Las Vegas trying to get to California, and you were just stranded because an incredible um, event happened that grounded all of your transport. And so you can imagine the mess and the chaos of uh, airline transportation. And people, not only, not only travelers, but also employees of airlines, stuck for days in places they didn't expect to be stuck. You remember that phenomenon? Remember that? Let's kind of go with that. Remember that? Yeah, yeah, let's go with that. Remember that. Now, Here's where core values come into play. This is where this would impact you. If you happen to be a traveler on Southwest Airlines during those days from September 11 to September 12 to 13 to 14 and a few days beyond, if you happen to be a traveler on Southwest, your experience was drastically different than your experience with United, American, Delta, Continental, AirTran, JetBlue, whatever it might be. And here's why. Southwest Airlines came through the 9-11 post, um, the days right after 9-11, with incredible flying customer service colors. Their, their clientele praised them for how they handled 9-11. If you, were, um, if you were stuck, here's what Southwest would do for you. They would pay no questions asked for your hotel. They would pay no questions asked for your transportation. They would also, in the day that you're at your hotel in Vegas when you really want to be in Maine, they would have their employees who would also rather be home. Their employees would say, hey, listen, 
We're going to the movies. We're going to pay for you. Would you like to come? We're going bowling. We're co- we're, would you like to come? Let's, let's pay for you to come. Their mentality is uh, our role, our mission in a, as a company is customer service. And we happen to fly airplanes. And what they did is they allowed their core values as an organization to seep through everything they did to the daily experience of the traveler who was stuck in Omaha or stuck in Dallas or stuck in New York when they really wanted to be somewhere else. In fact, Southwest was the only company that said, we're not going to lay anybody off after 9-11, where companies were cutting and cutting and cutting and cutting. So core values can be academic, they can be abstract, they can be ethereal, but they're not when you experience the impact of them in your day-to-day operation. And so this is what we want to talk about today as a church. What, what do you experience and what do I experience? Because all of us have core values. The question is, can you verbalize them or not? So, so look at it this way. Some of you like blue shirts or gray shirts. And, and men, your wives may look at your closet and be like, do you like any other color besides brown? I mean, what, what's up with you? You have a, a core value of dark brown or blue or whatever. And guys, you might look at your wife and say, you have a core value of shoes. I got, I don't know what is up with that. I've got four and you've got, you know, 44. And I I don't quite know why that is, but, and I I don't know why that I'm going to leave that one alone, but there's, there's core value choices that we don't ever express, but are implied and they get worked out in the, in the clothing choices that we make. There's core values we have related to how we spend our time. Some of us this afternoon are going to go for a little bike ride. Some of you are like, I would never want to go for a bike ride. What's wrong with you guys? We enjoy doing that. Some of you would rather go home and, and watch. I think the Phillies might be on. I don't know if they're on yet or not. Some of you like to watch sports. Some of you garden. Some of you like to go read. You couldn't get anything better than just going to read, and that would be incredible for you. Some of you like to go you know, rock climbing and do this kind of thing. That's your value system. Some of you have value systems related to money. After church today, some of you are going to go out to eat for lunch because that's what you, you value. Others, you have such a tight view on money. You're like, man, going out to eat, how can anybody ever do that? You've got to just save, 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 save forever. Save, always save, always save, always save. If you go out to eat, what a waste of money. You know, what a, what a, you know, oh, that's such a waste to go out to eat. Others are like, man, what's wrong with you people who save all the time? You've got to experience life. Values, core values. And the thing is, we tend to connect with people who have those values, right? We're not going to ask the tightwad to go out to eat because they're just going to be grumpy. They're spending $12 on pizza instead of getting home and having peanut butter and jelly or something. We just tend to resonate with people who have our values. And the issue is not do we have values, but do you know what they are and can you express them? And the bigger issue, here's the bigger issue for us as a church. Whenever you have a group, the bigger issue is not what are your values, but how do your values mesh with the person's values across the aisle from you? who grew up in a different home, who grew up with a different financial worldview, who grew up with a different view of what kind of truck to drive than what you do, and grew up with a completely different value system. How then do we bring the value systems that we have together and try to step forward together? It's almost like the three-legged race that you see. Sometimes, and it's a silly kind of thing, but you know, you have your right leg out and you stick your left leg in. I guess it's a potato sack kind of thing. And your partner sticks their right leg in there. They have their left leg out and your left leg and their right leg are in that sack. And together you try to run to the finish line, right? And you know what happens all the time. It's hilarious to watch. You know, people are falling down all over the place. But the people who do it well are the ones who get their 
legs in motion together. And in a way, that's kind of what core values are like. The more we can verbalize and express as we step into together, as we step into what it means to be Grace Point Church, and as we walk together in stride, we get somewhere. But if we are out of stride, if one of, some of us are saying, no, uh, we value this as a church, and no, no, we really value this as a church, and when it comes to money, no, we would never spend on that. Oh, yes, yes, we would. We would always spend on that. And here's what we would never do, and here's what we would always do. And if we're out of stride, we're just going to kind of be bumbling along and falling along, and one small group is going to go this way, and one Sunday school class is going to go that way, and this initiative is going that way, and this group is going that way. And so this morning, what we want to do is we want to give to you really a set of seven core values that we hope can kind of, we can kind of put our leg in the sack, so to speak, and say, yeah, this resonates with me. And, and the, the intent, the hope behind talking about core values is that it helps us with this whole idea of, of unity as a body together, that it helps us, no matter where you are, no matter what you do, that it helps us walk together in stride so that we can think as a body together, not as just a collection of individuals, and that we can verbalize what we say we believe so that we can move in stride and keep moving the ball up the court, keep getting somewhere. And so if you're new or relatively new to GPC, good morning for you to kind of get a feel for the heart of what Grace Point Church is about. If you've been here uh, longer than five years, this will feel interesting to you. And, and different for you because we are kind of taking, we're walking through an experience now um, in which we believe, as it, when I say we, the leadership team believes, we are in a different place than we were five years ago, in which we're saying, okay, we have a need now to kind of refresh and recast our value system based on who we are now as a church body. And so in order to do that, we need to, we need to put it out there, we need to verbalize it and speak about it. So this is what we're trying to do this morning, is kind of put... Um, words to what we see happening already within the life of Grace Point Church. These are things that we already see happening. And I'll say this, um, values are always a mixture of real and ideal. So for example, there's some things that we're already doing that we're going to talk about with values and some things that we're just going to lay out and say this is ideal and we hope for this. But every value system, including yours, and my personal one, has a real and ideal. Part of my value system, love my wife. Every now and then I do that right. But more often than not, that's an ideal that I have to keep aspiring toward, right? Value system of exercise and diet and all that. Every now and then I do that right, but that's something I need to keep aspiring toward. That's just the way values are. So when we're going to talk about them here, we hope, we hope that these will be for you. And here's, here's what's really important about these. We hope that these values will be for you like a benchmark that you can look at personally, as well as within your group, and say, man, how am I doing in regards to that value? How am I doing in regard to that? These are not just values that we want to put on paper and have disappear anywhere. These are values that we want to say, man, let's engage them and embrace them. And here's why we're going after that. When we think about the life of Jesus and how he walked in this earth and and what he said, um, one of the very amazing and powerful things that he did and he said for us even today is that he, he prayed for us, which is amazing to think about, the Son of God praying for us today. And if you've been around church, you know this. If you haven't, here's, here's a new thing for you. 
In the book of John, chapter 17, verses 22 and 23, that you're going to see on the screen here in a second, Jesus prays for those who are going to follow him. And he says this to, to us. He says, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete, what's that word? Unity. Let's do it one more time. Brought to complete what? Unity. Unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Then the world will what? Know that, let's read that last part. Then the world will know, read that with me, know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus prays for unity, and the reason, the rationale for that unity is so that the world may know that he was sent by the Father. And so our unity and how well we walk in that potato sack together, when you bring your family values from how your mama and daddy raised you, and you sit next to somebody who was raised so different than you, and you bring your financial worldview, and you sit in a room next to somebody who can't even understand why you spend money or don't spend money like that, how in the world do we move forward without tripping over each other? The better a handle we have on what we value as a body, the better our stride is. The greater focus we have in unity together and the greater impact for the kingdom of God in this area. This is why we talk about value systems. And this is why we talk about values at Grace Point Church. Okay? So with that being said, what I want to do for you this morning is walk through seven value statements. If you are a, uh, someone who is nervous about not getting content down or you like to write a lot, you can write this stuff down if you want to. I also want to tell you that at the end of the message, you can find this in a, uh, in a statement that is available in the Welcome Center uh, on your way out. There's a core value statement that you will see uh, here. These value statements were shaped by the leadership team. They also went through the hands of, of several of you as you helped us in the processing of what these value statements are, okay? So number one. Value statement number one, we live fearlessly, forgive generously, and speak openly. We live fearlessly, forgive generously, and speak openly. These value systems will sound, statements will sound different to you than perhaps our other ones, if you actually ever remembered what those were. These are, are, are different. Here's the deal. We live fearlessly. This idea that when we as a body have an opportunity to... to to step in or out of fear, we want to make the choice that we're going to step into our fears and not step back from our fears. It's an issue of faith. It's an issue of trust. We will step into, not out of our fears. That we forgive generously and speak openly. We're really trying to capture here the idea of the the authenticity we need to have as a community of believers and and followers and seekers of God together. That wherever you are, if you're just trying to figure out who God is, if you've been following Jesus for 92 years, that together, that we're going to live so fearlessly together that we're going to say, you know what, I'm willing, I'm willing to live in a culture and create a culture here in this place, which I'm going to forgive, I'm going to forgive generously because they're going to bother me. They're going to say things that are going to annoy me. And I I want to forgive generously, and I want to speak openly together. We're going to add to this statement to clarify it a little bit to say this, that we reject the culture of sin management and embrace confession, honesty, and grace in relationships with others. 
Here's what we mean. We reject the culture of sin management. Here's what sin management is. Sin management is like, yeah, you, you come and you sit down in a small group and you've been struggling with lust all week. You come in and it's time for prayer. And Any prayer requests? I, I had a tough week. You can just pray for me. Okay. Will do. Just, you know, keep praying for purity. Okay. Oh, okay, good. Oh. Oh. Mark that down. Facebook update later, pray for John, struggling with purity. Sin management says, listen, I'm going to kind of give you, I'm going to just kind of crack the window this much. I mean, to be honest, what's really going on is this much, but in my world, I don't trust that I can bring this much to this community. So I'm going to manage my sin, and I think that I can control it. So I'm just going to kind of share with you this much, and maybe... Just allowing that little pressure release of the sin and the struggles in my life will be enough that I will feel like I had a genuine community experience. And on the backside, I'm just going to try to keep beating down my sin and managing it. We're going to say, no, you can't do that. Sin is of such the nature, and the struggles we have are of such a nature that we need to open it completely. Open up, be vulnerable, be transparent in a way that maybe we never have been before. To say, I... I don't manage sin, we kill it. And and forgiveness kills it. Honesty kills it. Light kills it. This is what we want as a body, that we live fearlessly like that. We forgive generously like that, and we speak openly. We don't manage sin. We don't pretend that we can control the lion over here and just kind of feed that thing and keep that over here. That is a wild animal, and that is what sin is like. So we're not going to pretend... That we're, yeah, we're good. You know, I, just, I know I've been gossiping. Eh, just pray for me a little bit. No, no. We're going to open the window, and this is what we want. This is what we want. So starting at, at the top level, what we want to be about as a community, as we relate to one another, is a place where you can come, you and I can experience both a place of confession and a place of forgiveness. And you know, you know, you know, you can't have confession without feeling like forgiveness is genuine and true. So we need to forgive generously. Now, here's a question, and every value statement has a question attached to it, so you can look at it and say, how am I doing? Here's the question with this one. Am I stepping into my fears and living honestly before others? So you kind of assess this statement and say, yeah, that's a great idea, but wow, not for me. Here's the question. Am I stepping into those fears and living honestly before others? It's a question your small group can ask, you can ask, your Sunday school class can ask, your friends can ask, whatever. It's a question to reflect, man, how am I doing? How am I doing with this? Okay? This is statement number one. It's a good thing I have an hour and a half this morning, all right? Number two, we serve our neighbor with abandon. Simple statement, simple statement, but very powerful. The idea being that we, we serve, number one, we serve. When you are part of GPC, what we do, we put our leg in that potato sack thing and we're going to walk. What we do, we serve. We serve who? Our neighbor, locally as well as internationally. We serve our neighbor with, that word, abandon. <laughs> sense of, we just... We figure it out as we go. Okay, do you think we can do that project? I don't know, but we're going to abandon ourselves to it. We're going to serve with abandon. This is where the great send-off of 2011 came into play, Together 2012 came into play, and now coming up, Together 2013 is coming into play to say we're going we're to serve our community with abandon. We're going to serve our neighbor with abandon. This is, this is what we do. This is part of our identity. This is our values system. Today in your mailbox or out there in the, the welcome table, there's a, um, 
a brochure called Safe Families. It's an initiative that we're partnering with the factory on to try to move us. If you have an interest, and here's what it is, if you have an interest in um, making your home a safe place for a student within the Pequay Valley School District to come to in time of need, not an adoption, not a foster um, relationship yet, but kind of before those things where you think my, my home could be a safe place. We could be a safe family for someone who has some trouble in this area to come to. We're trying to create an environment where that can happen, partnering with the factory and um, another organization to do some training and preparation for you to do that. Why do we do that? Because we serve our neighbor with abandon. That is part of what we do. To clarify that a little bit, we pour our energy into sacrificial and strategic service for the common good of those who live next door and around the world. This is what we do. This is, this is part of the, the ethos, the values of GPC. So the question then becomes personally, who, where, and how am I serving? You may have heard me say this. If you, if you come to GPC, if you're a part of our body, we, you, you don't sit soaking sour in the pews, all right? We're not interested in having people come sit and kind of soak it in and just kind of sour through life. That's not the way it's going to work. The question is, okay, who am I serving? Where am I serving? How am I serving? When am I doing this? It becomes very personal. This is part of what we do as a body. We want to assist you in making that happen. Okay, that's value statement number two. We serve our neighbor with abandon. Number three, we're transformed spiritually when we embrace challenges together. We're transformed spiritually when we embrace challenges together, meaning that we grow spiritually. We grow in our relationship with God and others when we say, hey, together, let's face the pain. Together, let's step into something that last week, last month, last year, we stepped away from. Let me clarify that by this, adding this statement. Faith is exercised when failure is possible. We hate sideways momentum. We're either growing or dying. Sideways momentum, you've experienced this. You've experienced this at work. You may have experienced this here at church. You may have experienced this in your family. The feeling of, I get to work, I clock in, I do my thing, and next week or tomorrow I come back and I do the same thing again. Or, you know, is this company going anywhere? I'm busy, but I'm not moving the ball up the court. You know, it's like the analogy in football. If you're a football fan, you know, the goal is to get from whatever yard line you're on to the end zone to score a touchdown. Every now and then they run a, a, a play called a reverse, or even a double reverse. A double reverse is very exciting to watch, but it also can blow up. So a double reverse is you're on the line of scrimmage, you hand the ball off here, and then this guy runs that way. He hasn't really gone forward yet, but he's running, and then he runs over here, who happens to then pass it to the receiver, hand it off to the receiver, who runs back around this side. They still haven't crossed the line of scrimmage, and then they get tackled. And they haven't lost any yards, they haven't gained any yards, man, they've been busy. They burned energy, and it looks, I mean, they're sweating. They got busy. What have they done? We don't know. What have they accomplished? Nothing. Have they moved the ball up the field? No, but they've been busy. They've gone sideways. And so what we're saying is, listen, we're not interested in doing the same thing this year as we did last year just because we did last year. And we're not we don't think that helps us grow as people. You know, James 1.3 talks about um, that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. I wish that God's curriculum for transformation spiritually were not pain and difficulty, but it is. And here's our tendency with pain to say, no, I don't want it. I'm going to step away from that. And what we're going to say is, listen, step into the pain together. And as we step into God's curriculum for growth and transformation, things will happen. 
we will be transformed spiritually. So the question is this then, how is my faith transforming me? Not, the question is not, do I come to church regularly? Am I in attendance regularly? Do I do this regularly? I don't care about that. We care about, is your faith transforming you? Are you different this year than last? Is your view of the sovereignty, the power of God, different and stronger this year than last? Is your love for your spouse and your neighbor stronger this year than before? Are you being transformed? We don't care if you... You get, if there were a, a sign-in and you checked and you were here and you're faithful every week, I don't care if you're faithful if you're not being transformed. And this is what we say. We're, we hate sideways momentum. We don't want that kind of energy. We want forward energy together. So the question, how is my faith transforming me? Okay? Number whatever. Four. Ministry always comes before money. This one is not controversial, so I won't spend any time on it. <laughs> ministry always comes before money. And here's what we're saying at GPC, that... Um, just like the feeding of the 5,000, and I use this all the time when I talk about this. Um, you guys remember what happened in the feeding of the 5,000? Some of you do. Um, here's the, the quick story. Jesus, disciples, 5,000. Hungry people. Jesus says the disciples feed them. How many loaves? Good. Two of you know that. Five loaves. Five loaves. How many fish? Two fish. Good. Five loaves, two fish, 12 disciples, 5,000 people. You do the math. It doesn't work. And they're like, listen, um, Jesus says, feed them, and they said, listen, we don't have, we don't have the resources. And then what, what do they say? They say it would take how many months' wages? Let's go with eight. It would take eight, and here's, here's, their, here's their pushback. You want us to do what? You want us to do ministry to feed 5,000? There's 12 of us, Jesus. There's 12 of us. We got some fish. We got some bread. It would take eight months wages. Okay, so let me tell you, it's not in the budget, Jesus. It's not in the budget. Eight months wages, I don't know what that is. Let's say $35,000, $40,000, I don't know what that would be. Okay, it, you're asking us to do a job that costs tens of thousands of dollars, and I've got nothing. And then Jesus says, yeah. Ministry comes before the money solutions do. Dangerous and scary place to be, Right? And so two things happened with that. Number one, here's what I've seen at GPC. One, a couple years ago, we, had a, uh, we looked at our budget and said, okay, wisdom says we need to kind of put a little freeze thing on here before we start cutting spending because we don't want to cut missionaries. We don't want to cut staff. <gasps> so we need to kind of hold that. And there's wisdom in that, right? There's wisdom in that, and I have no problem with that. But what happened is when we looked at, let's say, our fall fun fest that was going to run that, that fall, um, the team that was putting that together said, okay, we don't have money to run this. We're going to do it anyway. We're going to do it without the money. We're going to figure out a way to pull off an event that traditionally has cost a couple thousand dollars, and we're going to do it without the money because ministry comes before the money. What I'm suggesting here is not that we, we take on a $10 million project and just simply say God told us to do it. I'm saying that what we need to have in our minds is that the ministry is going to come first. The ministry comes first. If we put the money and the need to have the money in place first, everything about what we do will be paralyzed and stuck until we believe that God has provided all that we need. At GPC, we're saying the ministry comes before the money. And we, we use it, the model of Jesus and the disciples and really his push on that. Because the push is really about this. If God wants us to do it, we'll step out in faith. And the question becomes, the question of Jesus was going after there, 
who do I trust and what do I value? Who who do I trust and what do I value? And that was the issue in that day in the feeding of the 5,000. All right, who do you trust? Feed them. We can't. We don't have the resources. Who do you trust? Feed them. Feed them. Feed them. Okay? Ministry comes before the money. Number five, the fullness of God beats the brokenness of man any day. In John 10.10, Jesus says, I've come that they may have life and have it to the what? Fullest. Good. Have it to the full or fullest. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full or fullest. What we believe here, this this is a statement of the heart. Um, To clarify this a little bit, we say that the life of God is more fulfilling than money, sex, power, reputation, or anything else that we chase. That the life of God is more fulfilling than that. This is a challenging statement for me. And and if we have time to reflect on that, I think it will be for us. And here's why. This is a statement about our heart. At the end of the day, you put your head down on that pillow and you finish the activities of the day. You're thinking about what's coming up. And here's what we're saying, that that all those things that, that vie for my time and attention, all the things I work for, I schedule out time for vacation, and I, I plan within my kids' schedule, and I try to have them be successful, and my grandkids be successful, and my business be successful, and we're trying to kind of make everything successful, and I spend my time and energy thinking about that, and I go to bed kind of worried about that and wondering about that, and I'm hoping to take the next step to better myself, and, and, and we're constantly thinking about that. And at the end of the day, I'm saying... We're saying that of all those things that are good, that the fullness of God in my life and the fullness of God in your life beats all of that. And this is where it becomes very sobering very quickly. Very sobering very quickly. Because it's a heart check. It's an absolute heart check. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength that despite all the things that I try to push for, that I will love God more, more, more than anything else that I ever pursue. And you talk about values being both real and ideal. I don't know anyone that's more ideal than this because we are all going to struggle with that, and that's why we need each other. This is a heart issue. And so the question behind that is, what do my desires tell me about my heart? What do my desires tell me about my heart? When you lay your head down on the pillow at night and your desires are really about you know, getting a college scholarship or, or dating this person or getting married to them or you know, having enough for retirement or hoping my kids don't kill themselves while I'm not there or worried about the divorce or worried about you know, getting back together, worried about the health and worried about my grandkids and the business and you know, where we're going to live and all these. And, and I'm thinking about all that stuff. What do my desires tell me about where my heart is? Can I say... But the fullness of God and all that he brings in terms of, of, of satisfaction in him beats all the good things that I'm going after. This is, this is what we want to be about as individuals and as a community. Okay? Number six. At the beginning, middle, and end of the day, God is in charge and what he wants goes. At the beginning, middle, and end of the day, God is in charge and what he wants goes. What we mean by that is we... we draw this out a little bit, is that the Bible reveals God's clearest desires. When what I want conflicts with what God wants, he wins. What we're trying to communicate here is the authority issue. That you may have some really good ideas, and people next to you and in front of you and behind you today have some really good ideas, and your family have some really good ideas, and yeah, your brother, he went through the same thing. He has some really good ideas too. But we believe that the authority of the Bible 
um, provides for us something that no other man, woman, or child can ever provide for us, and that is a perspective of eternity from a good, just, and sovereign God. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 talks about the strength of the Word of God uh, being inspired, given by God. It's useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness to help us know how in the world do we handle this world. This is an issue of authority. So if I think I should date that person, and the Bible says, listen, you shouldn't like hang out, you shouldn't do that, you shouldn't really marry somebody like that, well, then maybe I shouldn't do that. If I think maybe I should get a divorce, and the Bible's like, yeah, no, divorce is not a good idea. Okay, God says, you know, I hate divorce, that's, that's a problem. So what do I do with that? And like, well, what, I, I, but they're not getting, it's not going to be possible to get, but the Bible says, but I think they can't, and it's so hard, and eh. And, you know, ooh, what about, what about lust and temptation? It's just, I mean, everybody does it and all that. And, boy, the Bible talks a little bit about immorality. It talks about kind of making a covenant with your eyes. It talks about being holy and pure. So, yeah, I know that, but everyone else is doing it. And, okay, what about, what about kind of getting drunk or, you know, but everyone else does it as long as you have a designated driver, you know, no problem at all. But I think the Bible says something about not being drunk with wine but be filled by the Spirit. So, so what do I do? What do I do when, when everyone else is doing it and the things that I want to do just seem like they're not going to be that bad, but then the Bible says this, and what we say is the Bible is our authority. Whether I like it or not, all right, whether I like it or not. And there's some things in the Bible I've been honest with before that if I were writing, if I had the choice, I'd say, yeah, I would rewrite that thing. Okay, let me get the editor out. Nah, cross that one out. Make that easier. Make that a little lighter. I don't want to push that hard. Yeah, that, change that. Change that. I can't. This is God's word to us. So we're going to say at the beginning, middle, and end of the day, God is in charge of what he wants goes. And the Bible reveals his clearest will to us. So the question becomes this, how much authority am I willing to give God and his word in my life? How much authority am I willing to give God and his word in my life? How much authority am I willing to give to him in my life? What I do. Final statement is this. We aim for joyful, creative, and engaging environments for our hearts to be captured by the life of Jesus. All that's saying is that we, we aim that when, that when every, I'll, I'll explain it this way, that every age group should look forward to Grace Point events. By that we mean that every man, woman, and child, when they come to something within the life of the ministry of GPC, um, that, that they're not, as much as we can control it, okay, that they're not bored to tears, and some of you might be sitting here this morning and say, okay, 0 for 1 on that one. <laughs> but this is our hope. In as much as we can, in as much as we can, we're going to have in mind that we aim for creative, we aim for joyful, and we aim for engaging environments. Why? So that our hearts can be captured. You know, I mean, for those of you who own homes or have apartments, you go back to places, you actually care about how your home looks, don't you? You actually are interested when you have company over, what do you do? Do you, you empty out the closet into the living room? Right, because you care. There's something about the environment that matters. There's something about the room, the space, the physical stuff that matters. It creates an environment whereby your value of hospitality, warmth, or whatever it might be, is communicated. The physical stuff of this world matters, which is why we're painting the downstairs children's wing in the next couple of weeks. That thing is going to be repainted and redone to bring back some freshness to it, which is why we did the foyer out there not too long ago, the paint in this room not too long ago, that the reality is we're trying to create, not just by painting things, but we, we want 
whether you're a Sunday school teacher, a small group leader, or you're involved up here in this kind of deal, or you're doing um, part of our projects for Together 2013, that we want the environments at Grace Point Church to be engaging, to be joyful, to be meaningful, and to be creative together. Our hearts are captured by that. We, we want the hearts of our children captured by the life of our Savior. We want the hearts of our of our young people, the hearts of our middle-aged people, the hearts of our old people. We want everybody's hearts to be captured by the life of Jesus. And our environments are an important part of that reality. So the last question is simply this. Is the environment that I'm helping to create engaging or not? Which would speak then to, if I'm, essentially how much energy am I giving to that, um, that event? How much energy and time am I giving to think about the kind of environment that I'm creating? Okay? So these are the seven core values as we look at that. And here's our verse again from John 17. Here's what Jesus says again. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be what? One, as we are what? I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to what? Read the last sentence with me. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you loved me. This issue of core values is an issue of unity or disunity. It's a matter of can we stay in pace with each other or not. It's a matter of when you're sitting on a, on a team or a committee and you're trying to make a decision about the future of the church or the life of the church, like, well, what do we value? Not just what do I value, but what do we value? You're leading a small group. You're thinking, what do we value as a church? You may want to keep those core values near you. You're coming into a Sunday school class. Okay, what do we value as a Sunday school class? Because this is a part of the life of the church, not just what do I value. It's a matter of unity. And so two things, two things as I wrap it up here. Number one, if you want a copy of this statement, it's available on the Welcome Center on your way out. Number two, if you're interested, if you're a Facebook kind of person, if you're not, that's fine, but... Um, on our wall today, on the Grace Point wall, some of you sometimes engage, others don't, but we'd be interested to hear your interaction, your feedback with what you've heard and what you're reading um, in this material. Some of you may not want to post that publicly. Others would be like, yeah, that's great. Your questions, um, your comments, your interactions would be welcome as we engage in this together as a body. What does it look like to walk forward, to step together as we continue to develop fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, to continue to step forward in mission, okay? That they may be one as we are one. This is what Jesus says. This is what we hope our core values will help us to do. Let's pray together. Our good God and Heavenly Father, we pray that um, in the middle of this, in a way, a, a, a blitz of information about our core values that you would continue to help us to follow after you in all that we do and to do it in a way that will reflect these values to one another and to those who live in community with us. Father, I pray that we would, um, we would be able to reflect personally on these values by taking them and, and looking at them, keeping a copy of them close to us, having them be a part of our decision-making as we think about what we do with our, our small groups or our Sunday school classes, our, our teams, our committees at the church, or what have you, that these values become those things that guide our, our togetherness and provide some structure for how we think, not just for how I think, but for how we think together in unity. 
Father, we, we will say, we will say that we want to follow you no matter what. That we're going to go where you go, that we're going to stay when you say stay, that when you move, we're going to move, and you know, we're going to follow you no matter what. And that's, it's easy to say individually, but it's just hard to do corporately. And I pray that you would help us, even today, to, to, to grab a hold of these and say, yeah, that's what I want to be about. I need to step into that. Father, help me, help me, help me to do that, to step in. We pray this in Jesus' name.